Welcome to episode two of the Looking Glass podcast, which is a, a show where I sit down with uh, two of my friends, this time in person, so there was some awkward eye contact going on, mm. uh, and we discuss interesting, comical, uh, or inspiring figures from history. We go down the rabbit hole, through the Looking Glass, as it were, of Wikipedia, uh, and then hold up a, a glass to look at these individuals that we have selected to regale each other with. Mm. So uh, my name is Morris, I'm joined here today with Co. Hello. And Andrew. Happy to be here. All right, gents. What are you, who who are your your men or women of the day? Uh, well, I uh, have gone with a contemporary to my last uh, figure, who you might recall, the blind king uh, John of Bohemia, the king blind to his fate, uh, and I've gone with Charles the Sixth of France, known okay. <laughs> known both as Charles the Beloved and Charles, Charles the, the Mad. Mad. <laughs> the Mad. Okay. Yeah. Is he is he the guy the blind king fought? No, he fought with. with. Yeah, oh, he's a French. Okay. He's a French king. So throwback tips. Uh, <laughs> so was he there at, at the end? At Cressy, I don't know actually because I didn't research the. I was more interested in him rather than in the battle, of the Hundred Years' War. So yeah, he doesn't have any epic. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Every epic blind last stands facing uh, the wrong direction, <laughs> chained to his own men. Oh, sorry, Andrew, who, who's your character? Uh, the person that I picked this week is Harriet Tubman. Oh, mm. the slave? Yeah, run, runaway slave, slave freer. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it. Okay, yeah, I suppose we will. <coughs> and I'm looking at um, uh, Pope Joan, or Pope John, to her uh, less acquainted. Oh. Um, well, we, we may or may not have existed, but we'll, we'll <laughs> <There you laughs> <go. laughs> That's a bit start. of a spoiler. Good <laughs> start. But we'll see how it goes on. Uh, sorry, I, just, I forgot to say, before we get into it, we have a little bit of housekeeping. So we have uh, three things to say. First of all, there is a, now an email address. If you want to get in contact, it's lookingglass.reply at gmail.com. Uh, lookingglass, all one word. So if you have any comments, criticisms, or corrections. Oh uh, one correction I got was that it's uh, it's not harem, it's, it's harem. Uh, which was a small thing, I think, but I'm okay. But now that we have a correction corner, I feel like more at ease to make mistakes. Um, really? I don't know. I feel like you're going to, <laughs> you're going to be flooded with uh, corrections now. Uh, secondly, we have uh, a bit of a shout out to uh, my little sister Grace made some new cover art for the show, which is very kind of her. Uh, so if I work out how show notes and work, I'm going to put a link to her Instagram. It's Grace uh, N Art. Grace and Art is her artistic Instagram page, uh, although it's very different to the cover art she did. Uh, mm. But thank you for that. Uh, and then last but not least, technically, we have a Patreon there. Um, <laughs> this is very presumptuous. There's, there's no benefits. <laughs> you, can, you can donate money, you will get absolutely nothing. Um, there <laughs> Why? Why do we have a Patreon? Well, I don't know. It just felt, I felt like podcasts you have I don't want to... You got, you got carried away again. <laughs> I definitely did. I didn't want to... I don't know how ads work, so I decided we're going to be an adless podcast, and then I was like, screw it. That's, that's very high-minded. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Think <laughs> of the money we could make. <laughs> we sold out. So there's three levels. You can uh, you can buy us a pack of crisps, you can buy one person a pint, or you can buy it around for the table. Okay. So uh, so if you're interested in that, it's uh, Patreon slash Looking Dash Glass. Uh, <laughs> I actually can't believe this one. It was so easy to set up. I'd already done the email address, and I was like, oh, this feels... I had cool. all this section prepared for Manscaped. Oh, did you? Well, you know, all the ads were ready to go. Oh, well, we didn't cancel the Patreon. Yeah. It's pretty easy. Um, all right, so who, who, who would like to begin... Uh, will we go chronologically again? Okay, we can do that. Uh, that would be probably me. Yeah, you first, then me. All right, so um, so Pope Joan or Pope John, uh, she's she's an interesting figure because she is supposedly the only female pope uh, in history. I say supposedly, you know, you never know, you never know. Maybe one slipped through. 
But um, she ruled or had her reign from 855 to 857. So 9th century, middle 9th century. Um, but as we'll see, she's an interesting figure because uh, this is the Middle Ages. This is the Dark Ages. Um, I think the Dark Ages is one of the coolest eras in history because we know so little about it. It's called the Dark Age because we don't have a whole lot written about it. Um, to give a little bit of context that might become relevant to the, the greatest story is Rome. Everyone's heard of Rome. Rises, splits into East and West. Um, then there's the fall of Rome. Famously, Attila the Hun comes in from the East, which is like modern-day Belarus and Ukraine, I think. Mm. Uh, and we think, maybe, we don't know, because it's the Dark Ages and there weren't much writing. Um, there weren't much writing. There wasn't much writing. Um, there might have been some climate change going on. So a lot of the Scandinavian country countrymen uh, and the Germanic tribes moved south mm-hmm. um, because you can't farm when the uh, earth is rock hard and there's some place called Spain where it's apparently not, uh, or Italy. So everyone, everyone's collapsing on Rome. Rome falls, we enter the Dark Age. We forget how baths work, how aqueducts work, uh, yeah. engineering. Uh, and we also forget... Um, we don't have much writing, you know. Overnight. Overnight, overnight you yeah. know, some would say. Um, so, so it's an interesting period. So basically the Dark Ages are from, uh, what says here on Wikipedia, from the 5th century, sorry, the 6th century to the 16th. So it's like mm. 10,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years of darkness um, where we have to relearn and kind of rediscover. That. And it's, you know, it's fun, you know, in England where they have like, they discovered Bath and they discovered mm. like the Roman Baths again. Uh, but anyway... That's relevant because what's written about Pope Joan is it's kind of confusing because she may or may not have ruled and reigned in these dark ages. And so there's a lot of legend and hearsay and mixed writing and, um, and we'll, get, we'll get into it. So I've, I've gone through it and I've tried to piece together uh, the various hodgepodges of stories into, into one understandable narrative. So okay. we think Pope Joan is born in Germany. Um, we don't know. <laughs> somewhere in Germany. I think it's somewhere, it's, a, it's a city beginning with M. I think it's like Mainz, maybe? Mainz. Mainz? Okay, yes. Mm. It is. She's born in Mainz, we think. Um, she's a really, really bright girl. She's really, really smart, talented, and she falls in love um, with a, a, a gentleman who doesn't get named because he's even less important. <laughs> um, he's irrelevant. <laughs> All that matters is he's a priest. Okay. And either she tricks him or he, he tricks her uh, into joining the priesthood. So she sneaks into the priesthood. Right. <clears throat> There's she, a lot of uncertainty already well, it's the in dark this. Age, you know, it's like, you know, is that really the solution to their relationship? Well, I mean, he—they can't stop their love, their passion, because mm. he'll be kicked out, uh, and she might be drowned as a witch. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to play for. That escalated so quickly. It's like he might get in a little yeah, bit of trouble, and she might be murdered. <laughs> but anyway, so um, so she joins because they, they don't want to break off their love. So she joins the priesthood, and maybe we think went to Athens, um, but Pope Joan. Uh, John to her friends um, is uh, Jean is um, she's really really proficient she's really, really good at what she does and she soon surpasses her lover and she rises up the ranks and she becomes I don't know what the order is bishop is that after priest into yeah, bishop so. into cardinal she gets to vote on who gets the next pope and mm-hmm. amazingly she herself gets voted as pope um, so that's all jolly good I like the cut of this guy's jib <laughs> <laughs> it's just something about him I can't put my finger so on she's, it so she's done well um, <laughs> but uh there's trouble afoot. And there's, there's two variations on the story how she gets found out. One is that uh, someone walks in and she's just having her way with a man. Uh, mm. And they're like, oh, you're, you're holyless. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's this about? So she, I don't know, maybe she said, oh, we're gay. It's fine. But like, that wasn't really going to fly in the Vatican either. Uh, well, okay. I might be a little... <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> uh, okay. The, 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 the second version, uh, <clears throat> the second version, which, which maybe has a little bit more weight to it, is... Um, she was in a, a holy procession 
and she gave birth uh, while they were going around the Vatican City. And that was a bit of a game. You can't really play the gay card. Yeah, that's a hard one. You're kind of caught out. Miracle? Yeah. Immaculate male conception? So she was either killed uh, or died of natural causes. Unclear. Mm. Um, you can see why. Uh, but but it, what's interesting, even whether or not she did or didn't exist, the spot or the street that they went down where she supposedly gave birth, mm. future processions uh, do not go down that street and popes and priests avoid their, uh, avert their gaze from that road. So mm. that could be, maybe, maybe she existed. Maybe this is something. Mm. Um, there was another guy, I'm forgetting his name. It, there's like, there's several... Uh, scholars throughout the years throughout the dark ages who are trying to piece together this story um with very little light there's very little (laughs) (laughs) oh sorry here he is he is actually three people that's that's another moment of confusion here so her story is first mentioned by the dominican uh, a man called jean-pierre of melee uh in his chronicle of Metz, and then it's later picked up um by his fellow dominican called stephen of bourbon uh who adopted for bourbon who adapted for his work seven gifts of the holy ghost uh, but then the legend appears a third time by this guy called Martin of Apavaz, uh, Chronicle Pontificae et Imperatum, um, later in the 13th century. So this is all, again, about 500 years after she's supposed to have existed. So uh, I think I think Martin is the guy that really popularized the legend, and we, and we kind of go back to him, and he has a bit more weight to him as a, as a scholar and a writer at the time. Again, we're kind of just a bit to come out of the Dark Ages, where 13th century, once we get to the 15th century, uh, we're, we're, we're more solid in our writing. But yeah, Martin. Martin's the scholar who, who we're going to base ourselves off. He says that actually uh, she, she wasn't killed and she didn't die. She was just deposed as Pope because she got in under false pretenses. And then that she um, had to serve penance and she was locked away. But her son, uh, for it was a son, was shepherded away somewhere and later became the Bishop of Ostia. Mm. So... Ostia, uh, the Bishop of Ostia is a real thing, um, even though I can't find it here on the page. Oh, no, here it is. Um, so there's, a, there's three possible men that this could have been. Um, and one woman. Maybe a dog. <laughs> what <was he? laughs> uh, God, where are they gone? Was there's a lot going on. A lot of them. false identities around this time period, wasn't there? Should yeah, we, sorry. When there's, no, when there's no true history, you can kind of be whoever you want to it's be. It's true, yeah. Yeah, and there's no there's no set detail on these the three people. I think it could be so. She's eight fifty seven, so it's when she's uh, found out and gives birth. So she's kind of out at that point. So let's say her son, um, twenty years, maybe thirty years. It would either be uh, Bishop Eugenius, who was eight seventy eight, uh, Bishop Stephen, or Bishop Guido the uh, first. If it's Eugenius, he would have been bishop around twenty years old. Stephen around forty. Uh, and you, uh, Guido the first around forty one or forty two years of age. But again, this is this is pure speculation, um, and we don't, for better or worse, for the tale, we don't have their family records on hand because again, this is still the Dark Ages. So although we know the names of some of the bishops, we don't know them all the bishops, and the ones we do know, we don't know their parentage. Ostia is the that's the port next to Rome, isn't it? That was the mm-hmm. that was really important during the Roman Empire as like, like the way they imported port, all their yeah. grain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, um, yeah, either way, may or may not have given birth to the Bishop of Ostia. Um, but again, we don't know because it's it's a role, not a, a hereditary position. And again, there's not a whole lot written about the individual bishops. Mm. Um, it just says who they were, what they ruled, but it doesn't say um, who their parenting was or their, their lineage. Um, 
so so that's that's kind of the end of her, which is which is a bit of a pity, uh, a bit of a weak end. Um, but whether or not she did or didn't exist, uh, it did give rise to um, a great fear that this could happen again. Um, so suppose I don't know if this is still the case, but now uh, for some time after, uh, whenever you were elected pope, you had to sit on a chair that had a big hole in it, and one cardinal would. Uh, <laughs> Inspect. He would. Uh, he would. No, no, no. That, that would be. That would be very disrespectful. He simply inserts his hand through the hole. Uh, he reaches up and establishes the new pope has testicles. Oh, um, so that's not disrespectful. No, no, look, you know, just just an old grope between he, friends. He proudly announces, "Duus habitat et bene pendentes," which translates to "He has two, and they dangle nicely," um, or sometimes merely habit, for he has them. <coughs> I know it's pretty, pretty bleak. Um, there is, there, there's kind of some confusion whether or not she did or didn't exist. One idea uh, that's kind of confusing is she might have been Pope John the Seventh. Uh, this is kind of unfortunate because there actually is a Pope John the Seventh who's sort of been kicked out of history in place of Pope John. There's another Pope. There's a whole confusion with the Johns. There's another John who's John the Nineteenth, but he got panicked that there were other Johns, so he calls himself John the Twenty First. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. Mm. Um, it could have just been Twentieth, maybe. Who knows? Um, and last of all, and perhaps the, the biggest evidence that she didn't exist, is uh, the, the rivals make no mention of her. Mm. So I was talking at the start about how there was the Western Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, later there will be the Holy Roman Empire, uh, and the Pope is sort of, is he in charge of them? Maybe not? Maybe you're the Emperor? He gives he's... them power, yes, mm. in investiture to be like you are ordained by God as King of the Holy Roman Emperor, so they do have a lot of power in that sense. But so, it, it's kind of just... I suppose like a lot of power it's it's purely symbolic like yeah if the pope if you if you say no to the pope what happens mm. you know nothing really well he can excommunicate you that's a big deal but apparently it happened quite a lot though so yeah that'd, that'd be a pretty fun power to be able to just throw around you well, know get in your way <coughs> well there, there was a similar uh, um uh, you know maybe 20 years after she was supposed to have exist um pope nicholas the first took over he's he sat there in rome and he decides he doesn't like the emperor of the eastern roman empire which is photius the first of constantinople mm. so he basically kicks him out uh, and the biggest evidence that pope joan didn't exist is that fontius who has a Photius, uh who has a, a a pretty big gripe with the vatican at this point he's just been kicked out of his empire mm. um he makes no mention of her he's stirring up scandal left right and center about pope nicholas but he has nothing to say um about his predecessor which should have been pope joan which then would have said oh your whole System's a bit of a shambles, mm. so maybe you're not actually the, the chosen of God, considering the last person was um, was a woman, and uh, that's that's kind of against. Yeah, the, presumably they'd milk that for all its worth. The order of the day, yeah, yeah. So did she exist? We don't know. She appears on a few busts um, on various cathedrals, like in Sienne, which is in northern Italy. Um, within maybe five or six years of putting being put up in the cathedral, she's torn down. Um, mm. This is like 800 years after she's supposed to have existed in the first place. Mm. So she, she pops up repeatedly across history. I mean, I'm a little sad uh, to find out because I would have preferred she did exist. Um, it's, it's kind of a cool story that this woman, she kind of fell in love, joins the priesthood, is actually better than all the men, becomes the Pope, gets found out. Um, but then... <laughs> and then is brutally murdered. Well, mm. we're just opposed. Happy <laughs> we don't know. But um, Natural causes by, you know, immolation. Yeah. Sort. Anyway, so that's, that's to wrap her up. Uh, at least it gave rise to an interesting assessment to see how future popes do or do not um, uh, prove that they are made of And, you know, there, there's some evidence that, like, you know, they, they do avert their eyes from this place, and there is a possibility it could have been the bishop, and she is mentioned in some Vatican texts, but they're always in, like, a different hand mm. at a footnote on the end of a page. But I suppose, in, in terms of her existing versus not existing, 
why would they institute that tradition if she hadn't existed? Like, surely that in of itself is a huge... My, my guess is, is after the Dark Ages, during the Reformation, uh, sorry, the Renaissance, um, it had just become a custom, and they were like, oh, well, like, maybe, we don't know, there's no records, so... Mm. Maybe some fellow was just, you know, really like, I think we should do this, guys. <laughs> yeah, just in case. Like, yeah, that, that cardinal's a bit odd, but... <laughs> but we'll roll with we'll it. Roll so, with I, it. I suppose, like, that, I mean, that, that's one side of the story. In terms of her lack of, um, kind of, concrete written evidence mm. about her, like... I mean, it wouldn't be like the Catholic Church to uh, omit things that are inconvenient mm. for them now, would it? Yeah. So I don't really know that that's a particularly compelling well, there's, argument there's, against her existence. There are two enemies against the church. One is this guy, the, the former emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire, uh, and he makes no uh, effort to you know, call them out on it. Mm. Uh, but also there's uh, a couple of Protestants, Protestant writers at the time, and they make no effort to call it out. And they would have uh, an incentive to... Yeah. Um, that's true, yeah, yeah. As, as, well, I don't want to say enemies of, but at the time... Um, the split, they rivals. wouldn't. They wouldn't recognize. Yeah, the rivals. They wouldn't recognize the pope, and I. I don't believe they do. This is uh, before the Council of Nicaea, isn't it? So when was that? That's. I think that is the. Maybe someone can quickly search that. I think that's in the tenth or maybe eleventh century. But it's it's that the Council of Nicaea is when they decide what books are going to go in the Bible and what aren't because loads of books were written. Is, is that not in three twenty five? It is. Oh, that, was, that was a nice Google there, yeah, and you looked okay, very clear. Yeah. Well, no, he said, "Well, <laughs> someone look it up." No, I was not trying to. Oh, you know, just off the top of my head. Was that not in three twenty five? Well, like, when did they like yeah, censure it? Did they censure it again? You know, presumably that there's supposed yeah. to be a, you know, all those conspiracy theorists say there's that massive library in the Vatican, which I think actually does exist that has a lot of the omitted books. Yeah, all the forbidden gospels. Yeah, you know, isn't that popularized by uh, the Da Vinci? Yeah, God? by Dan Brown. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, she's about five hundred years after the Council of Nicaea. Ah, well, um, that's that's my my intelligent quip. Uh, Pope, Pope, <laughs> <laughs> Pope Joan, whether or not you didn't exist, she's an interesting figure. Um, Few people wrote future books trying to work it out. Mm. Uh, the general consensus is that sadly she she doesn't seem to have have existed. Why do you think it would uh, the myth propagated then? If it's if it is quite you know where do you think it began? If it began somewhere, did someone is it just some case of someone telling a weird story or? Yeah, I don't know. It's like <coughs> it's an urban legend almost. That's why it's so interesting as well because it's like it, it does nothing but damage the reputation of the Catholic Church, but none of the enemies mm. will claim it. Yeah. Or could it be that in the period directly after that, the Catholic Church was so powerful that they were able to suppress any reports mm. from their enemies? Like if that guy had be. been deposed from they his just empire, took over the East, yeah. he, he doesn't have a particularly big audience anymore because he, he has no role. Mm. And, you know, if during the Catholic resurgence post um, the split off of Protestantism, if they were able to just completely discredit everyone, everything everyone was saying it's far enough ago that we just wouldn't hear all those discredited, mm. you know, now claimed to be theories. Um, and they could have just, I don't know, I feel like I've got my tinfoil hat out. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the, that's the dark age. You can, when you can did they build that, the pyramids, yeah. though? When yeah. are we getting to that? <laughs> did Joan, Pope Joan build the pyramids? That's what I, I want to know. Unconfirmed. Were they there in uh, 853 Do they even exist? AD? Probably. <laughs> 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 Almost certainly. <laughs> Anyway, that's the end of Pope Joan, so uh, who's next? Who's the chronological? Uh, yes, it is Charles the uh, the Sixth of France, known um, as Charles the Beloved, and then also Charles the Mad. Uh, as you can see, this, this, this tale might take a certain turn, um, but uh, in any case, so this is 
1368. Again, a contemporary of our good friend King Blind King John of uh, Bohemia. So he's born in 3rd December 1368. His elder brothers all die, making him the heir to the throne of France, the Dauphin, as it's known. Uh, so upon his father's death, uh, he becomes the king of France, but he's only aged 11. And uh, obviously he can't rule because he's too young, so his uncles are going to rule in his stead. Uh, and they're absolutely terrible. Uh, they piss away all the money that Charles V saved. They serve their own selfish deeds. They reestablish taxes that Charles V uh, abolished, and this le- leads to re- revolts. And eventually, Charles VI is like he's twenty one now because you know, he, you know, he he kind of enjoyed not ruling. I I should think you know he's kind of like yeah, this is a very cushy job. I just sit in my palace and the uncles do everything. And then uh, eventually he comes in and says, you know what, I've had enough of this. It's all going wrong. I'm going to take personal rule here. I'm going to take charge, reinstating uh, these previous advisors that worked for my father called the Marmosets, um, and everyone's happy. His teenage years sound a bit like the Zhang Emperor. Well, everyone is happy. Charles VI uh, becomes Charles the Beloved. Um, and then, oh, you know, yeah, he's doing really well. A direct precursor mm. to Charles the Man. Yeah, he's doing really well. Did he write that? Did he no. write his own? <laughs> I decree <laughs> I'm the beloved. I'm 21. <laughs> Love me. So he's doing well. Okay. Okay. Evil uncles are gone. This young, this cool new king swaggering into the throne. Who writes all the history books. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, then in 1392, his friend and advisor, Olivier de Clisson, uh, was the victim of an attempted murder. Uh, and Charles is absolutely outraged. Like, how dare this happen? He vows that he's going to bring the assassin, uh, a man called Pierre de Crayon, uh, to justice. And this man had fled to Brittany. He'd rally the troops, boys. Like, let's muster the army. We're going to march off. And I'm going to bring this man to justice. So Charles, uh, you know, he gets a little ill before this happens. Hmm. Got a bit of a fever. He doesn't feel very well. And apparently his, his speeches and, and when he's talking to people don't really make a lot of sense. But, you know, his advisor's like, you know, you'll be fine. You're just some fresh air. We'll go marching. Everything's going to be good. So, you know, rally the troops. We're heading on. Progress is, is slow. As you can imagine, you know, getting the wagons together, all the infantry, people have to be paid. Wait, but he's, he's wanting an assassin. Yeah. Why does he need an army? Like, how's... Well, Morris, when you're the beloved, you know, <laughs> but like, is... how many people want to help you? Is the assassin just waiting in a field for his trebuchets? To... No, he's in Brittany. He's, <laughs> oh, okay. he's taken shelter uh, with nobles in his Oh, city. he knows where... Okay, right. <laughs> no, he's not just like... You know, it's not I like a scene like, from The yeah. Great Escape where he's running through fields <laughs> and it's the French army are there. And there's some five cavalry. You know, we must fight him. <laughs> charging after him. No, that makes he, much more sense. He's, he's in a city, so they have to actually crack open the city to get to him. But progress is slow. Charles is not happy at this, you know, like, he's in, literally the words here are a frenzy of impatience. He's just so unhappy. And they're heading through the forest near Le Mans um, on a hot August morning, and a barefoot leper approaches him, approaches the king, gets right up to his horse and says, you know, it's, it's done, the jig's up, you've been betrayed, it's all over, you know, you got to turn around, my king, please. And his bodyguards are like, what's going on here? So they beat him off anyway, and the le- leper continues to follow him, for like another hour and a half shouting these things, right? Everyone's a bit kind of like, this is a bit odd. Then it happens, right? One of his soldiers, possibly from heat stroke, drops his lance and it, it hits off of the helmet of another soldier. And the king's like, right, of course. The beggar's right, so he, he just charges his own men. Wait, what? King Charles VI draws his sword and just starts laying into his own men. Kills about six of them. Uh... Because so, some guy drops his lance. Yeah, well, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> he does it with great love. Yeah. I mean, love for his subjects. 
he swings that sword. I mean, yeah. think about it. This portent, and then the lance is dropped. I mean, come on. And so the he signs kill- were there, yeah. yeah. He kills about four of them before he's wrestled to the ground. <laughs> this lad comes up to you on Grafton Street, tells you something bad's going to happen. Oh Someone else drops their wallet. Yeah. Like, what like, else oh do you do? Yeah. He's going to draw my sword. And- <laughs> so he lays into his own men. Um, the, the expedition is a success. Uh, Pierre de Crayon is, is brought to justice and he's forced into exile. Uh, so now the king uh, returns home and uh, over the next few years he doesn't know who he is or that he's the king uh, eventually he comes to realise uh, that he's actually St. George uh, and he's so, got so what? <laughs> what? hang on he's got it all figured out okay he realises he's St. George and he begins sprinting through his house like every day you know like running around uh, to the point where his servants have to uh, you know close up the doors to make sure he doesn't get out sorry sorry he got wrestled to the ground mm. wakes up forgets he's the king mm. and then be- Assumes he's. Oh, well, this is over the course of a few decades. Oh, sorry. I thought thought this was like the next day. But, like, as in after this event, you know, it slowly starts to unravel. And he's he's like, you know, keeps walking around to his servants, doesn't recognize his wife, but he's like, you know, make sure you get get her a meal or something, like this nice guest. Okay. And everyone's like, this is is getting very, very. So they gave up on the assassin? Uh, No, they got him. They got got him. him. They exiled him. Oh, sorry, sorry. So finally, you know, again, he figures it all out. It's been maybe like 20 years. Uh, he realizes he's made of glass, uh, and that any contact with anyone uh, is going to cause him to shatter. So he has to take naturally has to take precautions. So he has his entire wardrobe refitted to have iron bars sewn into his outfits. Because oh, I mean, like the slightest touch. Could you imagine, Marts? <laughs> this man, this genius, having thwarted this plot uh, on his life, laid you know at the wise. It's almost like something from Shakespeare. The wise, you know, Harry Specs. Uh, the auspices or whatever told him that he was going to be betrayed and he kills the traitors and then you know after some contemplation in his house over the course of 20 years sprinting around not knowing who he is he realizes he's made of glass what an absolute genius <laughs> um, i love him i'll tell you that yeah see why he's beloved yeah well in any case now so he, he goes to a ball there's a masquerade <laughs> <laughs> with his iron clothing of course yeah, yeah, yeah. well you see his friend uh, Huget uh, de Guise uh, suggests to the king and four other lords why don't we dress up as wild men right and we'll cover ourselves in pitch you know it's like to make ourselves look like filthy or whatever okay. oh this and sounds like it's so, gonna end badly so they go into the ball and everyone's it's a masquerade you know everyone's dressed up in costume and it's good crack and uh, someone's like who are these wild men <laughs> Brings over a torch towards them, and, you know, let's oh, no. shed some light on the scenario. He accidentally sets one of them on fire, and that guy running around sets three more of them on fire. Oh, the king is protected by the Duchess of Berry, who throws her, her the train of her dress over him. Um, and uh, yeah, four four men uh, burned to death as a result of this, co- including the, <laughs> including the man who suggested the, oh, uh, the outfit in the first place. This man is just mayo Yeah, he's. He's a very unlucky man. Well, he's um, lucky. He keeps surviving pretty, all these. That's pretty clutch from that Duchess mm. to, to save him. Must have been a big trail. I can't imagine people were too pleased. Would have ruined my dress. Um, so then he, he dies in 1422, having figured it all out. Figured what all out? He's made of glass. Okay. Is and he, still, he, is he was, still a saint? Is, no, no, he's a madman. Oh, he's a madman yeah, yeah, now. Okay. And uh, the French are losing. No, I meant it. in his head, in his mind. Uh, yeah, he's, I think he's still a saint. Or he, okay. he wakes up on days and he is and he isn't. He's glass and then a saint. And mm-hmm. then, okay. Right. Yeah, so he, he uh, had an interesting reign. And he actually was the king who was uh, uh, who treated with the for the Battle of Agincourt. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so he ended up... 
after that battle, which, which correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure this is, is, is yes, true. They did, yeah, yeah they lost, and then the, <laughs> they he so, marries off his daughter to King Henry V. So it's his son who was killed in. in I the think the Dauphin, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then his other another relation uh, basically reneges on all the agreements that the French that the Mad King made with uh, with the English. That, that Dauphin is played by Robert Pattinson in the, the, the Netflix thing. Yeah. That's a good. That's a really and good movie. Ironically, actually, really where they speak. A lot of French, but he speaks no French, despite being the main French, French character. Oh. He speaks with a very, very exaggerated French accent. Mm. And um, what's his name? The guy who plays Hal, Timothy de Chavalet, mm. uh, speaks fluent French. And mm. he speaks it often throughout the film. But is, not is when he he's French. Is he half French? I think he's part French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a cool actor. I like him. He, he doesn't speak any French with, uh, with, the, French, with the main French guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with his main French antagonist. Mm. God. Well, thank you for that. That was that was very yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Another roller coaster. Another roller. I felt like I was reeling from every every cent. I was I like, hang on, what's that like, now? And then there's a leopard, and now he's glass. And now he's you feel like you're me. reeling. Imagine how he feels. Everything's you know? pitch. You, you wake up yeah. one morning and you're like, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm glass. I'm a glass. I have set fire to all my friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was his, that guy's suggestion. I mean, I don't know what he was thinking. He really reaped what he sowed Yeah. What was the Duchess's name? That was pretty clutch from her to the Duchess of Berry. Berry. Don't know her name. Um, quickly save the king yeah maybe for the worst yeah maybe <laughs> maybe just let him go for the best <laughs> seems like anyone close to him dies <laughs> yeah god anyway well thank you for that Andrew yeah. <laughs> so, let's move so, to more modern times yeah so so this one's <clears> going to be a little bit different uh, thematically to uh, what we just heard about so um, Harriet Tubman was born we think a lot of uh, conjecture about this, similar to, to your story, Morris. We think in 1822, uh, as she was born a slave, there were no concrete records as to the, the actual date of her birth. Okay. And this is kind of a recurring theme throughout her life, that a lot of what she does is not properly documented as a result of being a slave and then later a freed slave. Mm. Um, or, well, freed by her own hand. Um, so she's born Araminta Ross, or Minty, as she is known to her family, um, which is kind of the name given to her by her slave owners, which are the um, the Brodesses in Maryland, um, in the state of Maryland. Um, so she's born to two, uh, the daughter of two slaves, Harriet and Ben Ross. Um, and she kind of, you know, there's there's not a huge amount about her early life, but she she kind of cares for her younger siblings uh, when she's like ludicrously young. She's like three. And she starts to care for her younger siblings as her parents are working. How does a three-year-old care for? Uh, yeah, she just does it. Yeah, she just she okay. has to. That's mm. that's how it works, and it gets it gets it gets much worse. So she spends that time of her life caring for her own younger siblings, but at the age of about five, she is like sublet out to a second uh, family because apparently this was common practice at the time with your slaves. You could oh. you could you could loan you could let them out to other families. So at the age of five, she becomes a nursemaid for at five. at five for a baby, and her job is to rock the baby and make it go to sleep. And every time the baby wakes up and cries, she's beaten. Oh my god! And not just beaten, she's whipped. Yes. And this this is something that that kind of uh, is is thought to have really reshaped her her psyche throughout her life. Uh, this is where she starts to kind of rise up, resist. She runs away. She uh, starts wearing extra layers of clothing when she knows that something bad is going to happen and she knows she's about to be whipped. 
Um, shortly thereafter, uh, when she's still a child, she is hit in the head by about a, a kilo piece of metal, a, a kilogram of metal that is thrown by her owner at another slave who is running away. Oh. And she's just in the way, mm. uh, gets hit in the head, is, um, is just left there by, by the owner who's kind of like, mm, shrug, you know, these things happen. What's uh, when is this 1820? This is uh, kind of in uh, around 1830. Okay. Um, yeah. And she's a fractured skull. Uh, left bleeding and unconscious uh, and suffered from what has been later thought to have been temporal lobe epilepsy for the rest of her life. Um, it's a lifelong affliction that gradually gets worse as she gets older. She believes that this is um, that the visions and the hallucinations and the headaches that she has are visions from God and remains deeply religious for, for her entire life. Um, so kind of uh, there are a few things that kind of prompt her to run away as it were so she kind of always had this this mentality in the back of her mind that she was not gonna she was not gonna stay like this she was not gonna allow it she was fiercely old testament religious so she she didn't buy the new testament turn the other cheek message of jesus at all she was fire and brimstone uh, and you know righteousness mm. that's what that's what she was all about then um in 1840 uh it comes out that her former owner had decreed in his will that her father should be freed uh, when he turns uh, 45 years old. Uh, interestingly, at the time, your slave status was dictated by the, the status of your mother. Hmm. So it actually made no difference to her. Yeah. So her oh. father was freed, the mother stayed a slave, and all the kids stayed a slave. What's the, sorry, this is, I'm putting you on the spot here, but what's the life expectancy back in 1830? Like, are you going to get to 45 as a slave? Probably pretty unlikely. Okay. He does, okay. but um, I think he, he was quite a quite a skilled labor. He was a, a he was a, a carpenter, yeah. uh, so he probably had it a bit better than some other people. Right. Um, but she then uh, in eighteen forty four falls in love with a man named John Tubman and gets married, and he is a free man, uh, but she still has to remain a slave. Marrying a free man does not make you a free woman at this time as well, and apparently this is quite common where there'd be kind of. I don't really like using this term, but mixed marriages okay. of slaves and and, and freed uh, men and women. Mm. Um, and this, again, is, is quite... I think this kind of all starts to coalesce in her head that she's just completely fed up. That, like, these ridiculous, you know, looking back, so clearly arbitrary rules designed to keep people down. And she's like, well, he's a free man. Why am I not a free woman? My father is a free man. Why is my mother not a free woman? Like, it, you know, the rules just make no sense. And it's so clear that the the game is just fixed against them. Mm. Uh, so in 1849, she, um, her owner tries to sell her again, and she's so unhappy about this. You know, I think it, it's, it's deemed a great insult at the time. You know, why, why would you want to sell me? I'm, you know, I'm good at what I do. Uh, and so she gets fed up and she runs away. And she runs away with uh, two of her brothers um, and they get cold feet uh, because one of them may or may not have just become a father. And so he wants to go back. Yeah. And so as a result, they all go back. They are punished after the fashion of the time. And then very shortly after, she leaves again. Uh, she's sick to death, but she's not staying. So she leaves without her brothers, mm. leaves alone. Um, I think at a time where she was again sublet out to another slave owner. And so her original owner didn't know for about two weeks that she was gone. And this was kind of the, you know by design on her part so that she had a bit of leeway. Is her is her husband not um, 
oh jeez, maybe this is, I don't know how to phrase it, but does he, does he not get any kind of input? Like, his wife's been just like let out and rented. To no, so he, he has no input. Okay. Like, she is, she remains... He can't like stand up or... She remains okay. the property of, uh, I think, oh, the, the Brodesses. And when <clears> you <throat> say he was a free man, uh, do you mean that he was born free? Or? No, he had been a slave okay. who had been freed. Oh, right, okay. Um, I think at this time, there aren't that many people who are born free. And again, mm. I think the... The rules are designed that way, yeah, sure. where I think more men than women were freed, and but you, the the status of the child depended on the status of the mother. The mother, okay. And so again, the the deck is just stacked against mm. against them. Um. So she goes to Pennsylvania. So she goes to Pennsylvania, uh, about one hundred and forty five kilometers by foot. Uh, so she just walks the whole way. And she's put up at various points by various members of the Underground Railroad, um, which, I don't know, as a child, did you also think that it was a real railroad? Because I thought it was a re- real railroad when I first heard about it as a child. I don't know what, I, I didn't really think mm. about it at all, to be honest. Maybe I don't think I heard about this as a child, if I'm honest. Um, oh, for better or for worse. Um, so, uh, meanwhile, as this is going on, as she has escaped, uh, the US Congress is making it deliberately more difficult for slaves to run away. So in 1850, they passed the Fugitive Slave Act, which makes it completely illegal to aid any runaway slaves, even and compels law enforcement, even in states where slavery has been abolished, to assist in the capture of runaway slaves. Um, she has a, a reward put on her head, um, kind of different estimations. It, it's probably massively inflated retrospectively, but uh, there is a reward on her head. And she decides that, you know, she is free and she is adamant that her family are going to be free as well. So over the next kind of 10 years, she travels back south 13 times and frees about 70 slaves, um, mostly friends and family. So she frees her own parents. She frees the majority of her siblings that she could find. Some of them were separated as children and she never, you know, she never got a, she never by, got a by name. By free them, you mean she like... She broke them out. Jail okay, break. yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so, so she would she would go back uh, to where they were and orchestrate a jailbreak and bring them north. Wow. Um, as, uh, as I said, things have been made more difficult for fugitive slaves in the States. Most of them went to Canada. Uh, mm. They went up to Ontario uh, because as a British colony, as a remaining British colony, oh. they had abolished slavery entirely. So they're quote-unquote safe. Yeah. Once they get them across the border. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so that's kind of her, her goal in 1860. She, um, she goes back, makes her last trip, frees her, her final sister. Um, and, and then, you know, kind of calls it a day. Um, and she has epilepsy for all of this. Yes. The entire time she has temporal lobe epilepsy the entire time. Um, there's some really interesting, uh, like she's just like absolutely, you know, took no shit. Excuse the language. Uh, there are a few reports of her. So she used to carry a gun. The whole time, kind of like Wild Wild West. Uh, and, you know, she would use it on slave catchers, uh, mostly to threaten. There are no concrete reports of her actually killing any of them. Uh, but she would also use it to threaten runaway slaves who got cold feet. Because oh. if they went back, they would... Put everyone else in danger. Exactly. Okay. They would put everyone else in danger. And so I think the um, there's one quote that she had. She was like, this guy got really cold feet quite near the end of the journey. And she pulled out her, her Colt 45 and was like, either you go on or you stay right here. And that was it. That was the, that was the ultimatum that was delivered to him. So she was, she was stone cold. 
Um, Good for her. Yeah. Um, then in, in, in 61, in 1861, the American Civil War breaks out and she immediately signs up uh, to help the Union. So she's 40 or something now, is she? Uh, yeah, thereabouts, okay. 39, 40. Um, she immediately signs up as a nurse. Um, then as time goes by, she becomes a scout. As they progress further south and they want more people who are familiar with the area, she becomes a scout in the Union. And she actually becomes, in 63, she becomes the first woman to lead troops in the Civil War. Wow, okay. Yeah, which is pretty cool. So they, she gets in good with this Colonel James Montgomery, who I actually don't know anything about, but based on what I've read about her that involves him, seemed like a decent guy for the for the time. I don't mm. know, someone in the corrections may know more and will mm, absolutely roast me for, yeah, for saying that. <laughs> um, but they conduct an assault on the, the Comahee River, which is in South Carolina. And she went along and led her troops there. And they freed about 700 slaves during this raid. Wow. Um, and kind of, I, I think it's, it's, it's a very kind of, the, the picture that's painted in, in what I read is really, really graphic and vivid. So they rock up on the river on their steamboats. The slaves who are out working in the fields see them coming, see the uniforms, see the guns. And they all just make a mad dash to the river. The, the kind of the, the guards and slave owners try and stop them fall completely short in the face of this, like the overwhelming numbers of the slaves and then later run away when the Union troops uh, push off uh, the river and, and on land. And then the boats go back with uh, with the 700 slaves on them and the Union soldiers consolidate their position mm. along with Tubman there. Um, so she was never recognized really uh, property for her role in the war. Um, later in life, she um, she struggled massively with money. She would send money to her parents, who she later brought back from Canada down into the States, into New York, where she had bought a house. Mm. Um, she supported her family, her friends, her old contacts, and spent every penny she had again and again and again. Every time she got any money, she'd spend it all. She spent years and years trying to get a pension for herself um, and was denied time and time again. She mm. subsequently married... Um, another man uh, her I think she had divorced her first husband mm. um, and she married another man who was also a, a union veteran and after his death uh, of tuberculosis she managed to get his pension but never her own oh. mm. and then there was there had to be a specific bill introduced in Congress um, to authorize a pension for her oh, wow. uh, and her, it, it her only it, yeah it okay. only came about because she was scammed by these two guys who said that they had about $5,000 worth of gold that they had found in the South that they wanted to sell to her for $2,000. So she borrowed really heavily. Uh, apparently, this was quite a common thing where the Confederate soldiers would bury their, their okay. loot and then people would, would find it later thereafter and try and just get rid of it. Okay, right. It's mm. a lot of money back then. Yeah, like a, huge grand, yeah. a huge amount of money. A huge amount of money. So she's hugely in debt. Yeah, so, so she, she spends two grand on this. They rob her, beat her up, tie her up. And then once this becomes widely known, um, then she gets her pension. Uh, a, a local representative introduces a bill saying that she should be paid the sum of $2,000 and a $12 a month pension thereafter. Mm. And that happens. Mm. Um, I think it, it's, it's really, really interesting that even after, um, so she's kind of, in her late seventies, at this point, when this happens, um, they open up a, a home for um, 
for freed slaves who are now very elderly uh, in her name in New York, which she then becomes, uh, she goes to, to, to live out her twilight years. But kind of in her, yeah, kind of 78, 79, she decides, no, you know, I haven't done enough. <laughs> and she gets really, really actively involved in the women's suffrage movement. And she's like, yeah, you know, you know, being a, you know, slavery has been abolished, but, you know, I'm still a second class citizen and mm. I, that's unacceptable. Mm. And there's a really good quote here again, where it's a, a white woman asked her whether she believed women ought to have the right to vote and received the reply. I suffered enough to believe it. Mm. I think that's really poignant. Um, and so she, she dies in, I think, 19, it's 1913. So she's 91 years old, God, thereabouts. Wow. Having lived, you know... Pretty intense life. Yeah, yeah. what well, can only be described as a, a full life, and that doesn't even really come close to cutting yeah. it. Mm. Having, yeah, having done so much. But that's... Oh my that's God, right. well, thank I, you for that, yeah. I, I mm. thought on the wake of, um, I know in the, and when we talked about this before, the discussion about statues uh, mm. of, of figures from, from that period, and that was a huge... Any uh, statues of her? Uh, not many, no. There's not much. She is actually. This is this is what I was uh, gonna say. Like oh, sorry. the um, the she is the you know, the perfect example of someone that can be held up, in my opinion, anyway, and put up as a statue to remember. You know the 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 quote unquote good guys from from this period in history. So as not to be mm. possibly accused of revisionist history, you are still saying that these things happened, mm. and and that that was kind of where where I started to hear about her as a, as an uses an example of that. And then I realized I didn't really know that much about her. The first, I only heard about her, uh, maybe, what was it, two or three months ago, when Kanye West apparently mentioned her and he said she didn't free the slaves at his presidential rally. Mm. Um, it was in North Carolina, I think. Yeah. Uh, so which part of the South, uh, well, yeah, on the border. But um, And the, the crowd were like, oh, God, what are you talking about? And I was like, who is she? Yeah. Um, but I now we know. They, they, had announced, um, they had announced plans to put her on the front of the $20 bill. Oh, I do remember that as yeah. well. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's actually happened. I don't think uh, so. The new bill accepted. It, it, it's going to happen. Oh, it's going to happen this okay. year. Yeah. Mm. So so that's pretty That's pretty cool, I think. Something. Um, there, there is there a film go. as well that came out last year, which I haven't seen, but probably watch after this. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what it's called? It's called Tubman. Oh, Tubman. All right. Mm. Uh, I think, or is it called Harriet? It's either, it's called one or the other. Okay, mm. well. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you'll find it. Okay. <laughs> um... But yeah, that's... Jeez, yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, God. Very enlightening. She wasn't made of glass, no? It's no, no, not. she was definitely yeah. a person. Um, <laughs> she I did think, exist. Yeah, yeah. I, think, <laughs> I think the life that she led would uh, not have been feasible had she been made of glass. Yeah, um, some have it so lucky, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you very much for that, Adji. Uh, and thank you, Cole. And I guess we, we're, we're approaching the hour mark, so I might just, might just suggest we call it there. Yeah, that's um, good. Again, if you have any comments, criticisms, suggestions for future characters, you can get in contact with us at lookingglass.reply at gmail.com. That's lookingglass, all one word, dot reply at gmail.com. Um, peace. Yeah.